Uh-huh. uh-huh. Stick them up, girl. Uh. Okay, baby. Check it out. Check it Welcome everybody to Fear and Loathing in Cinema Podcast. It is August 8th. It is still hot in Texas and we have an excellent movie today. Uh, Oh my goodness, I'm just so excited. This might be the best movie we've ever done on Fear and Loathing in Cinema Podcast. I'm so excited. My name is Brian Kluber and I'm joined by two Hosts with the most, the chip eating, the stage dancing, the finger painting. Host with the most, Dan Moran and Preston Barta. How are you, Preston? I'm good. I'm wearing my Versace and I'm ready to talk. Oh, good. How about Dan? How are you? I'm feeling good. I'm ready to push Preston down the stairs. (laughs) (laughs) You're about to get a knuckle sandwich. Oh my goodness, this is amazing. And we actually have a special guest today hailing from Miami, Florida. She's a film critic. She's a fantastic fester with all of us. Her name is Chelsea Nicole. What's up? What's up? Hi. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on Fear and Loathing in Cinema. We are going to talk about, oh my goodness, if you couldn't already tell, the 1995 film from September 22nd that it was released, directed by Paul Verhoeven, the guy who brought you RoboCop with that starred Preston's best friend in the world, right? (laughs) I would love to know if Peter Weller actually likes this movie. I'm going to have to ask him then. You're going to have to ask him. Uh, oh, my God. We're talking about Showgirls. You know, with Jesse Spano, Elizabeth Berkley came out in 1995, and people lost their ever-loving minds over it. The NC-17 film. This has been billed as uh, probably the worst movie ever made, which we're going to get into that because One that's a crazy it. statement. Oh my goodness. So, okay, okay, let's let's go first. First. Um, let's start with Dan. Dan, when was the first time you actually watched Showgirls? Cuz this was 1995. I was 13 or 14 year old. I was right around bar mitzvah age. So this movie spoke to me, you know, with, you know, <laughs> because I was 13 or 14, all I wanted to do was see titties. <laughs> and this movie did that to me. I am going to be perfectly honest with the panel here. 
my first time to watch this as a narrative feature start to finish was last evening at about 8.45 p.m. Now, had I seen enough scenes from this movie to technically get the gist of it? Absolutely. <laughs> I'd seen this movie from the time I was, let's see, I was probably 11 or 12, a year or two younger than you, Brian. So I watched, I've seen the scenes of this movie. This uh, VHS got passed around amongst friends. This, like everyone has seen this part, but to actually watch the storytelling of this masterpiece start to finish last night. <laughs> last it, night. So what it, you're saying is you saw the highlights on Mr. Skin or something. Yeah, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I respect the movie. I respect everyone involved, but this wasn't. I didn't miss much. <laughs> I, I think you missed a lot, Chelsea. No, I saw plenty. <laughs> Chelsea, what about you? When was your first uh, foray into Elizabeth Berkeley not being into Saved by the Bell, but into Showgirls? So I probably saw this the first time about a little more than a decade ago. Um, and it scared me a little bit because I was just like, oh, this is a lot. Um, and just the kind of campiness that we'll get into. Um, but I enjoyed it. I watched it again last night. And honestly, I don't think it's a bad movie. <laughs> it's it's really not. not it's, it's, it's not. So Preston, Preston, I think being the resident youngin here, he was... Three or four. Five. Hopefully he five. went to the... You were five. Hopefully he went to the theater for this one, <laughs> along with Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's exactly what happened. Now, I probably saw this when I was 13, too. I want to say that it was middle school, and all my buddies wanted to rent it, and we or we watched, we probably didn't rent it, because I don't, I don't imagine you could sneak a movie like this with this title, uh under your under your parents nose at the video store so yeah i think we probably watched it late night on cinemax or something all right yeah no that's that's amazing uh i did not see this in the theater um but i saw this like a year after it came out on home video uh at i was part of this jewish youth group <laughs> and somebody had got it at an overnight for their house and we all watched it and I was like, this movie's awesome. Uh, I really, I really liked it back then, and since then, I've owned almost every version of it from DVD, that big collector set that came with like the pasties and the drinking games, um, and of course, this amazing vinegar Blu-ray 4K. I've always liked this movie, and I think this movie got uh, unfairly criticized. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe fairly criticized. I don't know. Um, but I think on the surface, this movie is about strippers and the turmoil in their life. But I think it's about so much more than that. So, so all right, let, let, Dan, we'll start with you. Um, watching it in full force for the first time last night. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Initial reaction. Like I said, um, maybe it's the sen sentiments of 1995, but um, I, I didn't. I mean, it was fine. Like I didn't think it was any sort of groundbreaking thing. And it was. It's a very obviously. This sounds very stupid to say, but it's a super sexual movie. Like unbelievably sexual. But I'm not sure it's super sexy at parts. Like a lot, 
lot of it is so aggressive and like uncomfortable and the abuse levels or whatnot that I'm like, oh, no wonder most people watch this in little clips <laughs> because a lot of the scenes are not sexy. They're just have a lot of nudity in, in them and are saying a lot more than just like, look at these titties, um, <laughs> which is all, which, all I thought that it was about for the longest time. Um, I would call this like a the not as far as exposing the stripper world, the not fun magic mic. Like a lot of fun. This movie seems like no fun at all. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that because there, there's a commentary track that's been like iconic with this movie called the greatest fan commentary ever made by a guy who thinks this is the best movie in the world. And he did a commentary and he talks about that. What you just said about this being such a sexual movie about sex, but it makes you not want to have sex at all. Yeah, I'm convinced I'm nobody who's in this movie, everybody in this movie has never had sex before. <laughs> what are you talking about? Especially with that pool scene. Like, I don't, oh, yeah. I don't really agree that anyone's ever seen anyone having sex before. Yeah, like, she's, she's having a seizure. Yeah. And how did he not you know, walk away broken. And he, was, <laughs> he was also kind of waterboarding her, too. It was very, very, yeah. very odd. Yeah, well, just like the dolphin fountains, just straight to the face. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. So you have to talk about with something like this, this sexy, supposedly sexy movie, Paul Verhoeven. Like, Paul Verhoeven is the guy that, you know, brought you RoboCop, Total Recall, starship troopers but he also did basic instinct which made hundreds of millions of dollars and i'm sure because of basic instinct that being a sexual movie hollywood said hey the masses want this you can make whatever you want and i think what paul verhoven in the commentary tracks in his book he wanted to make a musical uh, for MGM, this was supposed to be a musical, <laughs> and I think something happened somewhere, and it went off the rails. Chelsea, I do you think this movie could be made as a musical, or do you think Paul Verhoeven, the guy who brought you RoboCop and uh, all those other crazy violent movies like Total Recall and Starship Troopers, do you think he was the right person to make this Showgirls movie? I think he made the movie he wanted to make. And I th I think, I don't know if anyone is the right person to make this movie, um, but I think he absolutely made the movie that he wanted to make. And he played it very serious. <laughs> he did play it very serious. He He went full serious tone with it. But I think another movie was born during the making of it, and it became something else. And I think it took Verhoeven long, a long time to realize what type of movie it actually was. Do you agree with that, Preston? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think if you wanted the best version of this movie, it probably should be, even though she was definitely not uh, old enough then, but she could probably do a remake now as Emerald Fennell. Like... Cause I'm getting like promising young woman vibes for the end of it. And I think I, the whole time I was watching this, even when my wife came in, she was like, this is just, 
a bruising experience. And I was like, that's 100% accurate. And I was like, every the way that women talk in the movie, like when they're having conversations with each other, like there's one scene where they're talking about dog food and they're like, is this how men think women talk together? I that's how Paul Verhoeven thinks women <laughs> yeah. talk because it's interesting. And I want to bring in Chelsea on this. It seems like Paul Verhoeven thought that women only talked about their nails being naked with each other because they're always talking about being naked or something about their bodies and they're eating chips or Mexican food. <laughs> and then at the one other time shopping there, they don't have any real conversations and maybe that is Elizabeth Berkeley's character. Know me <laughs> um, where she comes in because she only has two kind of character traits. She's, either staring at something or she's violent <laughs> like she's yeah, she goes from like one to a million really quick right so chelsea what do you do do you, do you think paul verhoven just this is what he thought women were like i don't i don't know um i don't know if he's if it's he thinks that's so much how women are like more than this kind of he's blasting this like hyper hyper-realistic, hyper-consumerism of what like vape, uh, like a showgirl's life in Vegas is like, um, and kind of writing from, writing from then. Um, I will not uh, disavow good nails, chips, stuff like that. Um, I enjoy that, but I just, I don't know. I just think he's, he's looking at it. I know he's like a Dutch filmmaker. He's looking at it at a lens, through a lens of kind of like American consumerism. Um, we have all this sex everywhere and it's just kind of like, uh, how do you feel about it? Where do you put it? Right, I, I'm trying to figure it out because in those first, in the first like six and a half minutes of the movie, you have the main character hitchhiking. There's almost two car crashes. She pulls a knife. She wins money in Vegas and then immediately loses everything, including her luggage. And then she gets hit so hard she pukes. And then she falls in love with the first person she actually meets. All in the span of six minutes. That is the most confusing like 30 seconds in a movie ever. <laughs> which which part? Which th That whole sequence of her going across the street to realize that the car is not her, the truck's not there with her luggage. She starts beating the crap out of the car. The lady who owns that car that she's beating up confronts her. They start to fight. She vomits. There's usually a lead up to a vomit scene. That This one comes out of nowhere. Like she, there's no indication that she has been drinking or anything. Like it just comes out of nowhere. And then she proceeds across the street, almost gets hit, gets pulled back by the lady who owns the car. And then they are so close to one each next to each other. It looks like they're about to kiss and yeah, they're best friends. So uh, yeah, it's so alien like this movie. Sometimes there's a lot of dialogue in here that I'm sure we're going to probably, uh, you know, home in on, but uh, yeah, so much of this movie feels like it was just a, a nine-year-old came up with it or like a nine-year-old and an alien got together and they tried to say like, what do you think, uh, an adult movie would look like this is what it would look like and dan i have to ask since you're you're 
coming in for the first time, basically, you probably didn't see that first six minutes, really. Was your mind just like, what is going on? What am I in for? I rewound it because I honestly thought that <laughs> or I missed something because you're, it happens so rapidly. It's just like luggage loss, punch, puking. Now I'm in love and we're on to the titty circus. Like I, the, I had to rewind it and find out what was going on. But to, to piggyback off what you were saying about how the women talk, I think that he just made a movie for males between the ages of 12 and 17 who know absolutely nothing about women and literally turn this on to see boobs. Because as I was watching this, I was like, this is probably exactly what I thought Vegas and strippers were like when I was 13 years old. Like there is like no doubt in my mind that I was like, yeah, this is I mean, this is almost a documentary for the whole entire time. And I think that's what he did. I wonder how many boys out there just thought that's how you have sex with a woman like that. And just how awkward those conversations and or that that particular thing would play out for them. Honey, just, I'm, honey, I feel like drowning you in the dolphin fountain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not only that. I think we first got her that first portion of her is, is was her first dance at the strip club, and when Kyle McLaughlin and his unbelievably quaffed hair, his flopsy hair. They, she had gives him the lap dance and like she she like attacks him. It's like she's like seizing out on she needs insulin or something like that. She's just that's why I said super sexual, but there's nothing sexy about that. No, like, not at all. No, this is assault. <laughs> what Chelsea, what do you think of that first scene of that of the Kyle McLaughlin and the the amazing Gina Gershon, who I think Gina Gershon is the best actress in this movie. She knows exactly what's happening in every scene where I don't think any other actor knows what's happening. Huh? That and and her roommate, because her roommate is probably the most relatable like she approaches every one of her scenes in a very authentic way like the way that she delivers her lines right Gina Gershon is definitely uh probably one of the most compelling characters to me uh just because she's also like you kind of understand her a bit too yeah no I agree uh it's so true we'll we'll get to her roommate for sure because I think she's the light of the movie but Chelsea that first lap dance scene with Kyle McLaughlin and Gina Gershon what when you were watching it because it'd been a while since you have watched it did you remember it and not only what are your thoughts on that but are you still amazed at how Elizabeth Berkeley could contort her body um not so much amazed at the contorting um that it's probably the most awkward lap dance I've ever seen. Um, and especially when you're coming in with a with a badass like Gina Gershon and you have Elizabeth Berkeley kind of playing just like the, her charisma is very much kind of wet noodle. Like there's a lot of nudity, but it does it's not sexy to me. Um, and then I look over at Gina Gershon with her like coke nail and just fully dressed. And I was like, that is, that is the hot woman. Um, that's just me. I just, um, I think it's, I think in every single scene 
that Kyle McLaughlin is in, especially this one. Um, he is literally just looking in the corners for David Lynch and just like, now <laughs> can I go? And um, I, I don't know. And then he comes in his pants. <laughs> Which, yeah, he does. He, he does. Yeah. And that, and then, so what do you remember Preston, what he said to Gina Gershon after the lap dance? Uh, no, I cannot. Not the top of my head. What is it? He says, you're such a bitch. And then she goes, but you love me. And he goes, yes, I do. And they get up. And I was like, what is this dialogue right now? Why? This dialogue was written between the hours of 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. only. <laughs> because I'm trying to figure out, like, he just climaxed in his pants his girlfriend paid the girl $500 and she comes over and she goes, how was that? And he goes, you're such a bitch. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what, why, why is this happening right now? Okay. So I think with that scene, it sets in motion that this, this character, Nomi, she wants allegedly to be a dancer. Um, and she's trying to get hired onto this big Las Vegas show and that's what she wants to do. And that there comes the scene, which I think is the probably it's it's not the worst thing because the worst thing comes later on, um, which is just so out of the blue. But the scene that I think you couldn't shoot today, but is still really funny to watch is when she goes to audition and the producer of the show is going down a line of women and telling them what's wrong about them, hitting them and saying goodbye because that doesn't, I mean, I don't know if that flies today. Like I've, I've heard, you know, the recent stuff about Lizzo and like all the people, you know, coming out after her for a toxic work environment. But I can't imagine it was like that. Dan, when you, when that scene came on, when the producer was going down the list of girls, what was, what did your mind go to? You're a lawyer, you know, like what, what's, <laughs> the, what's the law in this? They <laughs> have a case. I'll tell you that right off the bat. But uh... I couldn't help but laugh. It was so bad. Like, it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm not encouraging this. I do not support it. I don't agree with it. But also, this isn't a movie. This isn't a major motion picture. And you have a guy going down like, your tits are bad, essentially. Like, <laughs> your ass is gross. <laughs> what an asshole. It was so bad. Oh, I was laughing. I, I took too much of this movie as a comedy, which maybe shows you how sick my sense of humor was. But, um... As problematic as that scene was, I laughed. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. It was so over the top. It was well, so just. I do believe this movie is one of the better satirical comedies out there, and I think that's what this movie essentially is. That it's not a drama. It's a satirical comedy. Chelsea, would you agree with that? With stuff with scenes like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is more of a satire, a very campy satire, than even if he played it straight and uh, Elizabeth Berkley paid, played it straight, I still don't think that's what the end product was. So I'm going to say, so, okay. So let's talk about Elizabeth Berkley a little bit. Let's, let's talk Preston Elizabeth Berkley's performance as Nomi or, or Polly. We'll get to that. A lot of people, she won ras golden raspberries for worst performance. She, she she was fired or she left her talent agency. She was not receiving calls from movies after this. 
I want I want to know your thoughts on her performance because I think it is so damn nuanced and great for what this movie is. Oh my goodness, I, I, Preston. It's uh, I mean, it's spectacularly awful, but it's like you can't, you just can't look away from it. I I I, did, I said earlier that she goes from one to a million, and like no greater scene that illustrates that than when following the most confusing bit that we were talking about earlier they she immediately you know goes to a burger joint and is eating fries with uh her soon-to-be roommate uh named annie and then like annie is like where where are you from and she says back east it's like where we're from back east and she's like different places and it's just like <laughs> just the way that she can just go there sometimes it's it's very nick cage like in some aspects like she just it's almost like watching vampires kiss where you're like i don't know if this is good or bad but i just can't look away and so i think she's she's very much in that same kind of uh within those same parameters a little bit there but uh yeah i think I think as you, cause she's in most of the movie that when you're watching it, it's just, uh, yeah. Like I very much enjoy everything that she's doing. And like Dan said, like, uh, it's, it's like, you can't, you, you just can't look away from it. it. It's, you have to rewind it to be like, who thought that that was the way to go? And somebody said, yeah, that that's it. Uh, cut. And then we'll put that in there. Uh, it's just perplexing. Like, I just don't understand, like, how this was assembled and how they thought this was the way to go. But it's just, that's the movie in a nutshell to me. Like, I'm just so fascinated by it, like, that they decided to go in this direction. I mean, it seems like a collection of amazing sequences that all failed. And when you have all these failures in a movie, it turns into something kind of brilliant in a way yeah it's just like a misinterpretation of like what that life is like essentially to me that, that that's what it is uh chelsea the character nomi um i don't i and in my in my 41 years i've never met women that have acted like really any of the women in this movie or done anything like this uh do you think Elizabeth Berkeley portrayed this character in a in a good light or a redeeming value or anything like that. I absolutely as you go through it, you absolutely have some kind of empathy for her. But like Preston said, like even with the with the the French fry and the ketchup scene, just like that very unhinged freak out. I was just like, what the fuck are you <laughs> on, lady? um i completely forgot about that um yeah i don't i don't know i just think she was playing it unhinged and i know i i read a couple like uh interviews last night with the director and he pretty much said like he apologized to elizabeth berkeley because he kind of like you know he directed her and he kind of had her play it that hard um but there are things where I, it's just, she is so unhinged in so many different places where normal people 
are not like she's very self-sabotaging throughout the whole the whole movie as well yeah, yeah there's, so she, that, there's there's that scene that when she first meets crystal connors and then and then gina gershon's character crystal connors says something about uh like that's that's not dancing and she's just like you're full of shit and just <laughs> walks away um and Man, I, I was trying to man. We should make a drinking game out of how many how many interactions she has where she's walking away from them uh, by the end because she's pissed off. Yeah, um, she either has the upper hand or she cannot handle criticism at all. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's almost like her performance or almost everybody's performance was captured separately. Like none, no interactions, like the dynamics are completely confusing. And so when they're reacting to each other in scenes, it's just like, did you just film that person and then film that person and then put them together? It just doesn't seem like they're reacting like how a human being would. It, it, it's crazy. It, like when you bring up the burger and soda scene in the car, Dan, like the one thing, and especially Preston, since you're very with the environment, she litters. She throws her hamburger thing out of the car. And I was like, wait, what? Hey, hey, it, it's okay. Hey, because Aquaman threw a bottle into the ocean when he was drunk. So it's, it's cool. <laughs> it evens out. It, it, it evens out. Uh, Dan, Nomi, um, do you like Nomi? Is is, is this character no. worth redeeming? No, I don't like her at all. She's crazy. <laughs> she's <literally, laughs> she, she is an unhinged psychopath um, and seems very dangerous. She's in a lot of dangerous situations, but she seems just as crazy and she just doesn't have enough power to act on it. Um, very weird character all around i think this is a classic case and i didn't read a bunch of interviews or anything but i can only assume there's a lot online about how she was like i'm going for broke to show i am not jesse spano and so in every opportunity she had a chance to show anger rage her boobs anything sexual to curse she just turned it up to 11 when maybe like a seven or an eight would have done and the director was excited and just let her cook um and obviously, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. It backfired because this derailed her career for quite a while and made her kind of a laughing stock. But I think in different hands with a different director, um, this could have been this could have been a breakout role. It it honestly could have. It could have gone like the correct direction to be like, oh, okay, she can kind of be like a psycho, you know, like it, she can play these kinds of things. And maybe she would have had better roles after this. But whatever was going on in this movie was was we need to turn the notch down just just a hair just a hair because she gets blamed for it so are you oh, go ahead go uh, ahead so it just came to me um do you think that there would be so many like think pieces and like books and i know documentaries written about this if it weren't this director and it weren't this writer if oh, it was no. just kind of like a nobody uh probably just went on straight to dvd i yeah. mean it would have been Video if yeah if it yeah. wasn't the guy from the director of basic instinct and robocop comes jesse spano's kids you know like that's that's how they sold it that's how yeah. they marketed it but it was so yeah i think if it was just um like one of these you know you can't make bruce willis jokes so one of these john travolta movies that you just see and you're like 
going through the streaming service, you're like, what the hell is he in this movie with Vince Vaughn? Like, what is this? And you scroll <laughs> yeah. by it, and you realize they, like, 2023, they, like, started shooting it in January, and it's out in March to rent. But it would have been one of those, I feel like. It would have been straight straight to video, um, and we never would have heard of it. it. It was the director, but he also, he let her down because it's his movie, and he should have been able to recognize, especially after making something that basic instinct is sexy. This movie is not sexy. Like RoboCop is, I don't want to step on um, on Preston's corner here, but RoboCop's brilliant. Like with how it handles the satire aspect or the fear aspect or the futuristic, all that sort of stuff. And this movie is just kind of like, here you go. It doesn't try to do anything. So yeah, it is on the director. He he hung her out to dry and hung this movie out to dry. I, I feel like. Oh, that's it's crazy. It's 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 insane. So now, oh yeah, Brian, if I will, I I said hung out to dry. Nobody was dry in this movie. There was not <laughs> one scene. It was anybody what? hung? I don't. We don't know. There was no male nudity. The Forrest Gump scene where all the water is raining different directions is drier than the characters in this film. Everybody <laughs> constantly sweating, like they just came out of a jungle. strippers sweat and so my next question with talking about Nomi do you think that underneath all the nudity underneath all the insane caricature portraits that we see here do you think this movie actually wants to tell you something in a very poignant way of you know maybe they made a film or Paul made a movie to tell young people like do not don't go the fame route if your goal is just to get famous this is like this could happen to you type of thing kind of like an after school special almost i don't know because it's like that might that's been written about that's like these are the the prices of fame and maybe in the 90s or maybe hollywood of course maybe that's the case did you get that at all preston i i would say well Paul Verhoeven's like subtext in his movies have like gone down tremendously from movie to movie. And so I don't know if there's like a whole lot here other than just showing that this business is disgusting and that this is how like every, every character approaches everything extreme, like it's extremely confrontational and aggressive, like every interaction that happens in this film. And so, like, uh, you got Robert Davi's character as Al Torres. And so when he's introduced and you, and it's it's humorous, it's kind of like when uh, Dan was talking about, you know, the scene where they go down the line and like, you, you're like, oh, well, that's that dude. That's how he operates. And then you get to, to Al and he's walking in with um, a, a young woman. Her name is Penny. And uh, but he her new name is Hope. And so he introduces her to the rest of the girls working at, at Cheetahs as uh, this is Hope. And then she's like, actually, my name is Penny. And then everybody starts laughing that he like seems like he's so cool and composed and that he's like, I just like I've known this woman for a long time and he doesn't really know her name. And so that's like why they're laughing. But then the truth is that. Uh, when she says like hi my name is uh penny's like nobody wants to fuck a penny like your name's hope they want to fuck hope and so (laughs) there's just so many scenes 
that are that are like that and then you get you know toward the end where it, they have the rape sequence and so there's just there's it's just all to show you just how absolutely vile uh that business can be and so that's that's the only takeaway that i have it's just like there's no there's no happy ending for people really um there, there's not and i think with that like talking about that character the the fratelli from the goonies um yeah like even his semi-sweet uh conclusion to his character when he comes to see elizabeth berkeley perform in the show and he's congratulating her but the last thing he says to her is so damn yeah. awkward he says to her <laughs> Wait, you don't like getting cummed on anymore? <laughs> no. Must be weird not having anyone come on you. Yeah, yeah. and you're yeah. just like, wait, we were having a kind of a sweet moment here, and yeah. then this screenplay, <clears throat> like, why? And I guess it's just to show that no matter what, maybe the men and the males in this movie, there's almost no redeeming factor because even the one that you think that might be a good dude which is the guy that wants to teach her to dance is just a player he's he's not a great guy either and so i think it just shows that nomi can't trust anyone and that and maybe that's the reason men are complete trash in this entire movie there's no <laughs> yeah. redeeming man yeah Zero. they always say sweet stuff when there's a dollar sign right next to it yeah. Well, well, and it's and it's funny because the first male interaction besides the guy that picks her up because she says, "Wait, nobody's done anything nice for you," and she good, leaves. Good her. line, sweet line. No, it's great, but like the next interaction is when she loses her money, and she, this guy comes up to her and is like, "Hey, you want to make some extra money? I need about fifteen minutes." And she walks off, and the guy says, "You're going to have to sell it at some time," and yeah. it's just like bam this is the movie right here like this like sets it up and i don't know that was a a crazy jumping off point i, I do want to give some air for uh the, the character that you were just referencing uh the one one of the first men that she meets who she has that dance with and then kicks him in the nuts right and right like, who his name uh, his character's name is james smith and he's played by uh glenn Plummer. And the, this character is so interesting because it also just does not make sense to me. Like, I'm not sure, like, what his true desires are, but there's there's a sense of tragedy to him, especially by the end. And I think that's like one of the few moments in the film where you're like, oh, that was actually kind of poetic is um, the way that it ends with his character, like one of the last interactions uh, Nomi has with him is when she uh, finds out that he's with uh hope that i was just talking about and that sh that he uh made her a part of this private show that he's been de developing that he uh, originally uh wrote with nomi in mind and so um the interaction is that he says you know hope is pregnant and that he has somebody, some relative is Ann or somebody owns a grocery store and that we'll, we'll get free diapers and things like that. And so it's just kind of sad because you like, there's so much artistic, you know, creativity within him. <clears throat> and he had a vision for what this dance would be, which is kind of funny when you think about it. Cause you're like, there, there's so many comments that he makes throughout the movie where he's like, 
that's not dancing. And, but his dance looks very similar to her dance anyway. So it's, it's very funny, but I guess whatever uh, show he had in mind, like he had some creativity within him. And then the sad reality is that he's just going to be like everybody else who is a failed artist who just didn't get to do what they wanted to do. And they were held back by their circumstance. And so that's just like one of those tragic poetic moments in the film that I just was kind of surprised by, by the end, even though so much of leading up to it, you're so confused about who he is and, and like what his true desires are and, and, and like how he operates. The only thing that he lives for is P U S S Y as he says. And yeah. so much that when they have that first dance sequence, or I guess second dance sequence, when he's uh, showing her uh, what this private show could be uh, or this small show that he wants to put on. And then <clears throat> he proceeds to go down her pants. It's just like, I'm on my period. And then he's, and he's like, she's like check and then he goes so far to check and so it's just like so insane um uh i don't know there's just like so many scenes i feel like we can just uh do our own commentary and just be like let's question that for a moment and be like what was that all about um because it doesn't it doesn't really add up but uh such as the the dog food scene that they have and so it I uh, I understand why there's been so many documentaries made about it. I understand why there's so many books and essays and everything, because it's just a such a like I said earlier, a fascinating movie where you, how somebody thought this up and how they managed to put all these pieces together and give us uh, I, why this movie is over two hours. I don't know, but it also seems like there's not enough film in it. Like there's stuff missing. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. It, it, it is. It is. And before Chelsea, I'm going to ask you about this character too, because I'm curious on your take on this Glenn Plummer character. But the Glenn Plummer, Dan, um, he was in our first ever Fear and Loathing podcast because uh, he was the guy in Speed and Speed Two. He's the one that uh, gets. Keanu Reeves to the bus in the car, and he's also <laughs> makes an appearance in Speed Two, our first ever show. Yeah. Well, he's, um, you know, he's everywhere. Then he might be our patron saint of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, I think so, Glenn Plummer. But yeah, Glenn Plummer, this this uh character Chelsea, because you want to like this guy, uh, but I I don't think there's a lot to like here. Um, what what do you think? I do. You don't really going through the movie. You don't really know his motivations. You don't know if he's just being like flirty and then you see him kind of look at um look in at her dancing at the club and stuff and just kind of like oh is she getting better is um is just kind of having an eye on her um i do think it's a weird character though i i do agree with preston about his kind of like poetic end it's it's you know it's not great but it's just kind of where he ended up in life um i will say that i loved when he told her he couldn't dance she couldn't dance and he got a kick like a swift kick to the dick like i will <laughs> never ever uh i will never ever not love um like a shot to the dick so that made me really fun <laughs> that made me that made me laugh really hard 
um just just like you can't dance <laughs> that was her best dance move yeah, it was absolutely absolutely it was. um but yeah i just you go throughout this entire movie not really kind of up and down not really knowing the true motivations of the character until you see him with the with the other girl and just being like oh no baby this was you know i wrote this for you and it's like right you know it's it's for anybody he he decides to put in it yeah no it's true that that character is interesting um i this I, whole I, movie I, is that scene in room where they're talking about something and then he goes so tell me about your sex life like just like <laughs> that sort of progression right That's yeah it's it, it like you said zero to a million um it's crazy and so let, let's talk oh go ahead oh no um so there's there's that when they when they go back to his place she's like uh you can fuck me when you love me 10 seconds later she's like <laughs> thanks for the hamburger yeah yeah exactly <laughs> what, what is going on thanks for the hamburger two different got- takes they put them together right Oh, it's 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 crazy. Um, so let's talk about. I think the light of the movie, the only light of the movie, is um, is Gina Rivera, the Nomi's roommate, uh, whose name is Molly Abrams, who is a seamstress for the show that uh, Nomi's trying to get on, and she is the sweetest, light-hearted woman, who you know, in the span of. 10 seconds after fighting and hitting somebody offers this complete stranger a place to stay in their little, you know, their Winnebago trailer park house. Um, She offers to, to make dresses and buy Nomi food. And uh, at some point, this is where we'll get into like the worst scene, which I think this scene should be cut out because the scene (laughs) the the the, what we alluded to earlier the rape scene it is a brutal rape scene very reminiscent of irreversible not as long but a crazy rape scene but this rape scene is not earned it just is out of nowhere and so this character uh, molly she has a fascination and a love for this michael bolton lounge vegas act like this guy that wears velvet suits and long hair and she always wants to meet them. Um, and I think throughout the whole movie, this character Molly is sweet and amazing. And at some point in the movie, she witnesses Nomi be a villain. She witnesses uh, Nomi uh, take out a fellow dancer to get on top. And she has a, a, a crisis in her head of like, do I still like this person? Should I still vouch for this person? And at first she doesn't. But then... She wants to meet this guy, this lounge singer, so bad. There's an opportunity for her to do it. She sets aside that and she shows up at the party, which is maybe where Paul Verhoeven was like, oh, this is her downfall because she's not walking that straight and narrow path that she has the whole movie. But like what happens to her is insane and I think is so vicious and unwarranted. Like I think they could have cut that whole scene out and just maybe shown her in the hospital. But then why did that have to happen for Nomi to realize who she was? Cause it does, that part doesn't make sense to me in the movie. Uh, I know that was a lot to unpack, but Dan, do you have anything to say about that? 
No, wasn't a fan. <laughs> you just, I mean, you just went on your your monologue about it, and I was kind of just nodding along because I agreed with everything you said about it. It was, unfortunately for once, Brian, you've kind of left me speechless. <laughs> 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 kind of like, yeah, that's how I feel too. I mean, I don't have much to add beyond that. Oh yeah, it's crazy, Chelsea. What did you think about this scene? And did you remember that scene from first watching it? And did it play a more powerful role this time? So I did not remember that. Um, it definitely did. When you when you say it's kind of uh, just echoes of irreversible kind of stuff. I I agree with you. I don't think the scene is earned, and I don't think the film would be worse if it was cut, and you would just see maybe that she got beat up and she's in the hospital. And I just I just don't. It's very. I mean, like the movie, it's very gratuitous. Um, but yeah, I just don't see why. Right. I don't see why either. And like Preston and the three of you, that scene is so crazy, but it's almost Looney Tunes comical in a way where it's two other men raping her but then the guy just wants to lick her bloody face like just is like licking and i was like what wait he's just does he get off on licking somebody who doesn't want it like i i my mind was like why what's going on here is this just to show the worst parts of a brutal attack i i don't know preston what do you think yeah <clears throat> i don't know it there's so much that happens within the last 20 minutes of this movie like just that seems like I think I heard that at one point in this movie, they wanted to put like a murder plot in there, like something needed to happen uh, in parallel with her journey. And that this was like their way of like bringing something because Paul Verhoeven's not uh, shy from getting his hands dirty in films, like even like stuff like this not quite like this it's at least a a little better guided in things like robocop and total recall um but uh yeah it does feel out of place they didn't have to go that far um in that yeah it could have just been like she's in that room and then it could have been just the line that he said like when they shut the door you get the gist you know what's going to happen and that's all it had to be um so yeah like her like her walking out and then having blood run down her leg, like it's a horrifying image. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, I wish that she, uh, uh, Nomi had kicked all their asses, even her bodyguards. Cause they, they were doing most of the, the damage it seems. And like, then you had, yeah, the Andrew uh, Carver guy being more like the, the Manson type of Charles Manson type. Um, who's just kind of orchestrating the whole thing, but has like weird fetishes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's just nothing makes sense with that. But um, yeah. yeah. But do, do you do you think that 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 whole thing was warranted? Like Nomi's not a great person, and as we find out in the movie, spoiler alert: like her past. Everybody finds out about it her past life. She's, she's a crack whore. Like they found out she was a crack whore because of her parents' murder suicide. Um, and she was been running for that. Uh, but do you think like I, I think it's like a weird thing for that brutal thing to happen to her only friend that that's what changes her. Like that's yeah. what sets her maybe to 
start over. I, I don't know. I think that was kind of weird to me. Yeah, something certainly could have happened and it, it would have flowed just fine. Maybe just removing that whole scene altogether and then, yeah, being in the hospital and having that. Because to me, like I, I really like the interaction that she has with Gina Gershon at the end, even though they kiss and everything, but the, the, the scene where, or the moment where Gina Gershon says like, do you, th no, Nomi says, um, why didn't you tell anybody? And she's like, well, I was tired. Like I, that's what this, you know, this is what this life is. I wanted a break. And then I was like, okay, yeah. Like this is kind of like really getting somewhere. And it's like make kind of, allowing pieces to snap together for the film at least a little bit. And then she says that, uh, I, uh, I, she, I, I didn't... yeah, she was the one that did it beforehand. Yeah. She was the one yeah, that yeah. it's like, um, whenever there's always somebody that's younger or hungrier, that's coming down the stairs, uh, after, uh, the lead after the lead. And so you're like, Oh, wow. Like that's, uh, and uh, that, that, that's another kind of uh, poetic moment. I, I did forget another kind of like more humorous poetic moment again with uh, James uh, played by Glenn Plummer when they're talking about the t-shirt the dialogue that they have where it's like shit happens and life sucks and it, <laughs> it has like a full circle moment by the end. So there are like little uh, crumbs in here of like greatness that precedes its campiness. Um, and so, but yeah, it's just like, they're, they're scattered everywhere. You have to kind of right. through a lot of tonal dips and things like that, but. Well, there are, there are tonal dips because you have these poetic moments, but then you have moment sequences where there's garlic eating monkeys running amok and putting on right. lipstick. Like, it, it's just like, wait, what movie are we in right now? This is chaotic, you know? Yeah. It Mom, does it. Uh, moms bring in their kids to work and then the other dancer being like, shut your fucking kids up. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, it's, it's like, watch out for the monkey shit. And I'm like, what? It's, it's crazy. Crazy. So with, with both of you having kids, Dan and Preston, would you ever yeah. show your kids this movie? I, I would not watch it with them. No. <laughs> My kids, my kid, I mean, this sounds really, really bad. I have a daughter and a son. My son's never going to be like, oh, I want to see some boobs. Let me go to Showgirls. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we had back in the day with the VHS and the DVD. Like, now it's just like, well, do, 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 get on Google. You know what I mean? Like, that's, and, and I feel like that's what kept, whenever I read, I did read one thing on Wikipedia saying that this was like the most successful at-home video sales for like it's MGM. Like, it, yeah. it, it, it made over a hundred million dollars in video sales and rentals. Online porn wasn't <laughs> everywhere yet. That's why it was like, oh no, I got Showgirls for the art. It was a film that came out instead of like whatever title of porn you could buy. So no, I will never watch this with my kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, unless, unless like Unless, like a full decade from now, my son is like, you know, want to sit dad, I just heard about this hilarious movie. And I was like, yeah, okay, tell me about it. He goes, it's called Showgirls. <laughs> I'd be like, all right, well, let's pop it in the old DVD play. Um, yeah. But no, I, I have no. No, no desire. Um, so what about the themes of Christianity in this movie? Because it has been talked about that this movie has undertones of the Christianity 
and like faith of, you know, somebody like literally being raised up and redeemed in an angelic like place and then being kind of tortured with the crown, the, the crown of thorns uh, at the bottom. Did y'all get any of that in here? No, I didn't. I didn't immediately pick it up. I mean, it. it I think you can look at them side by side and maybe draw those conclusions, but I don't think that that was the intention. <laughs> I think that's just the way. Well, I think Paul Verhoeven even stated that he wanted something like that in here, but it's so it's so so far from that on the surface that that's that's exactly what an art director would say. <laughs> Chelsea, did you get any of that in here? I mean, I just got the whole I just think Gina Gershon looked very very angelic being lifted lifted up and, you know, going to whatever. I didn't get a lot of the kind of like Christianity like undertones of it, um, but yeah. Okay. I will watch for her being just angelically lifted up into the ceiling. All right. Well, even Nomi getting her shot at that too. All right. So any, what are the funniest moments to you? What are the most memorable lines of the movie? I mean, minus maybe like it's a Versace. <laughs> any, mine, any... Is, mine is Versace. Um, so you've already said that one. And the funniest moment that we discussed earlier on the sex scene in the pool. That was the hardest I laughed in the entire movie. Um, I, I couldn't understand the physics of it. I couldn't understand how someone watching it thought that it was sexy. I couldn't understand how it got out of the editing suite. <laughs> that whole entire scene. I mean, I this like, is echoing. This is like a scene you show your kids on like, this is not how it actually is. <laughs> like, because if you show like them as like a sex ed, it's like, this is how it's not done because nobody would act like this because like, it seems like she's like having a seizure. You know? Or as a cautionary tale, you would show your your children this. Hey, when you go to when you go to have sex, this is what a woman's going to do to you. <laughs> oh God! Uh, yeah, that that scene is pretty good. Uh, what about you, Chelsea? Any funny lines or memorable scenes that you like? Um, my favorite is the "Must be weird not having anyone come on you." That just he's trying to be sweet like this guy's really <laughs> trying to be sweet and trying to just kind of be and that line just comes out of nowhere um yeah just that was that was absolutely my favorite line all right all right uh, preston um we haven't talked about this character yet but it's the the large lady that's like the comic yeah, the, the large with her with her boobs. She's actually in I think every episode of Orange is the New Black. <laughs> yeah. So she's fantastic. She has this line, uh, quite a few lines, but my, the line that made me crack up the the cuz also it comes out of nowhere cuz th there'll just be a moment where you're like just entranced with like what's going on. You're kind of numb to everything and out of nowhere a line will pop up and you just have like a like you just like kind of jolt. And so uh, she has a line where like she's coming back. It, it's you already referenced it already, Brian. Uh, but like when it's like moments before the the what Chelsea was talking about with the the come on you thing is uh, she says he or, or no he Al says something like you don't look happy like trying to kind of 
make her feel bad a little bit. And then she, and she's like, what are you talking about? She looks happier than a 10 inch dick or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good. It's good. a good line. There, good. There, you know what? Cause like we're talking about this and we're talking about how much failures they, that happened in this movie and they ended up, but I think it's all quite brilliant. Like I still think this movie is great. Cause it has like a, 16 or 23 percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I definitely think it needs at least a 70 or 80 percent. It has a 20. So I looked this up last night because I was like, there's no way it has. So the room has a 25 percent. Showgirls has 23 (laughs) percent. And it's a lower score than the room, Mm. but way more titties. So I'm okay with it. You're okay with what? With the 23 percent? I'm not okay with the 23%. I just, I feel like maybe some titties make, make up for it, like a titty multiplier. Um, but I'm not okay with, no, I'm not okay with it being 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. No, this needs to be a fresh rating. This is This movie has so many levels and layers to it. And like one of my favorite scenes, which is not like supposed to be a funny scene, but it's the the brilliance of Elizabeth Berkeley's acting when she's sitting in the makeup room, makeup chair, and she's having a cry, was talking to somebody, and they focus on Elizabeth Berkeley for a reaction. And she does one like emotional sniff. And it's so goddamn great <laughs> that that's the all. Oh, oh, I was dying laughing. I was like, "Bravo, sir!" I was like, "Man, this is what this movie is." But I think there's so much layers to it that it deserves like a fresh rating. Preston, what do you think? I don't know, man. Uh... <laughs> this movie broke Preston. I think <laughs> out of every, this is basically like. The female boyhood. It's a coming of yeah. age movie, Preston. <laughs> this is like yeah. the older showgirl. Showgirls is like the older cousin to kind of like a black swan and a safer burlesque. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a like good burlesque way. Burlesque to... is the sanitized version of this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we didn't even talk about like how uh, the writer of this movie is like was was or at least is or at some point was the highest paid screenwriter because he wrote he wrote basic instinct and sliver and both was sharon stone and i guess the studio wanted sharon stone to be the gina gershon character here but that didn't happen but since those movies basic instinct made so much money yeah he was like he was offered like three four million dollars for this script I think he like pitched it on a napkin, got like two million dollars or something for it. It's it's crazy to think about, crazy. And I think that at that time there was the story, and then they wanted to make a musical. And I'm like, what? I mean, there's music in the movie, but how yeah. do we do this? Yeah, they, I mean, they eventually made a stage play, a stage musical, cast recording of some like songs they made up. But do you think this movie deserve? I mean, that. I feel like this movie is said it's the worst movie ever made. I don't think so. What do you think? No, I don't think it's the worst movie ever made. Trolls 2, I would definitely agree, is. <laughs> um, no, uh, I yeah, I, I just think it's just a campy classic, camp classic at this point. Um, I think a lot of people have found it and kind of are perplexed by it, but also equally uh, fascinated by it. So 
Um, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's definitely nothing, not, it's high art of a different, a different form, I suppose. It's like not something that you'll put peg against, uh, I don't know, um, Schindler's List or something like that, if I wanted to make Brian smile a little bit. Um, <laughs> but it's, I mean, you can see the money on the screen. It's a, it's an expensive movie. And like a lot, of, there's a it lot. It looks of amazing. The editing is actually amazing. pretty good in this movie, especially during the dancing sequences. Um, there's some like weird transitional points during scenes that, that don't quite add up, but at least the editing during the dance sequences, I was like, that's like a good flow to it and is actually pretty well done. So um, yeah. you, you give it a positive review. Yeah, I, I, I would. Um, it's almost like I give it a positive review. It's very bad, but it's also quite good too. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, it's you, so you, bad. You, it takes like a one eighty turn to good. Like yeah. this is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, like you're having a lot of conversations in your head as you're watching it because you're like. As soon as it like we're introduced to Nomi's character and she 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 also has like another one of those kind of like, whoa, that was an odd delivery. Um, I can't remember what she says. I may have written it down at some point. Um, chill. Uh, chill. OK, uh, that's what she says. Yeah. Um, something like that. Like uh, that it just, just kind of well, let's uh, let's do another take on that. No, we'll, we'll leave it in. OK, so. Um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Ultimately, I think it's it's a movie uh, worth seeing just because it just feels so far beyond our world entirely that you just kind of are so. Uh, it's it's like a a bug going into a bug zapper or something. I don't know. There's there's <laughs> there's no way to kind of contain everything that's going on in this movie. There's just so much. There's so much, uh, Dan. How do we relate this to John Wick? I wish he went in there and killed half the characters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess it's I guess it's the uh, it's the Glenn Plummer because he's with Keanu Reeves, Keanu Reeves to John Wick. I don't know. I, I got it. Were there more titties in this or headshots in John Wick? <laughs> good um, question. That's a good question. We we could we can relate it to John Wick four in the club sequence where people are like fighting and you're like, why are the other people just dancing in the background? Why are they not reacting like human beings would when we're acting like this? Or that's how we are throughout most of this movie. Why are people not acting like human beings in this? I think my biggest takeaway from this movie is that if if it had come out now, um they would have magic mic'd it. They would have Trojan horsed um, a fun story into it. Cause like somehow magic Mike turned into like a bro road trip movie, but they just stopped and like danced and like, at least the sequel was like, they danced at a convenience store. They were going for the last hurrah. It was like a buddy movie. And the stripping was obviously the draw um, for a lot of the audience, but there was a lot more going on. And this one, it was literally like, we have nothing except for nipples. Like, <laughs> we will show you lots and lots of nipples, but we're not going to have anything else in there. We're going to show you little hints of it, like with the Gina Gershon 
conversation at the very end. But you know how we're going to undermine it? Have them make out in the hospital bed and then our main character pull a knife within two minutes of leaving the hospital room to rob somebody who had kind of robbed her. Rob, was, yeah, rob the same person. It was just all over the place um, to me in, in, in that in that realm. But that's that's my that's why I don't think it's the worst movie ever. I think calling it the worst movie ever is unfair. I think that Jesse Spano was, with her, uh, you know, like she got railroaded by the script and her agents and thinking that this was going to be her big breakout. And I don't think she was handled appropriately with a uh, career advice there. Um, and, and it ended up hurting her for quite a while. So I think it's more of a, um, a really fun disaster to look at. It's like a car accident. You can't look away from the entire movie. Every single time you're like, Oh, Whoa, they hit the guardrail. Oh no. Now they're hitting a gas truck. Oh wow. Look out. It just keeps, it keeps going. <laughs> It, explosions keep getting... yeah it keeps going uh yeah and it, it's crazy to me out of the whole movie there's no dick in it and like i mean you see kyle mclaughlin's butt quite a like a little bit but there's no male nudity which is weird to me maybe that's just me uh, <laughs> but i think there were supposed they wrote a sequel for it or they were trying to do a sequel and i think if they do a sequel they should absolutely do a sequel right now but they should make it a male version and they should have mario lopez play the uh the the nomi character like just to bring it poetically full circle there there is a sequel uh that came out in 2011 and it was written and directed by penny or hope that's right that's right who has done a long she so that girl penny was also in striptease uh with demi moore which striptease and showgirls get confused a lot but penny was in both of them and then penny that actress has been in a lot of um risque films over the years but yeah she she did that it was it was, it was about her it was about the penny character i think right yeah because it's called pennies from heaven <laughs> steve um, martin <laughs> yeah, it came out in 2011. It is two. It's it's even longer than this one. It was kickstart Kickstarter funded, so it's two hours and 25 minutes long. Oh my god! I mean, now I really want to watch this because I have not. I don't seen know. We it. said the same thing about Smoking Aces too, but we didn't do that. We haven't done that yet. We need to. Uh, Chelsea, uh, your final thought on Showgirls? So I do want to talk about like the ending of showgirls even though she's like that shit insane i do think that after she's like crossed every boundary she had she's done all that she wanted to do in vegas and the guy's like oh did you gamble well what you what do you get me and it's um i think she's kind of saying like i redeemed myself to herself um but then she just pulls another knife which is very weird and crazy um but then just skips off to la um just off to another town off to hollywood yeah but just off to like another just crazy journey and i just think this movie kind of speaks to um just women in show business but also it puts it through that very like tacky las vegas lens in in the 90s of what i guess the director thought was like 
this is sexy, but this is sexy. Let's make 50% of this movie just straight nudity. Um, maybe that will just like kind of sanitize it down so that when you see more nudity, it's um it's not as shocking. You're just like, oh, it's nudity, but it's it's not sexy. It's just um <laughs> it's just back it's just backstage. Um but I think this movie gets a really bad rap for no reason. Um, I think it is super fun to watch and I don't know. It's, it's super fun. Um, and now I, I was looking up last night and I sent, you know, a a message to Brian. I was like, I want a crystal crystal Connors shirt. I just, I want it. I want to like, I want to rep it. And I just think out of everybody, uh, Gina Gershon plays it the best because she always has this kind of smirk or smile and she's always just kind of smarmy about it. Um, but yeah, I enjoy it. I love showgirls. She's, she's aware of the film. She's aware of the movie she's in. She's the smartest person in the room. Yes. Yes, she is. Okay. So another funny topic about showgirls. Oh my God. Is we, we, we haven't talked about the dancing yet because the dancing, when people go to strip clubs or see dancing like this at exotic clubs or something like that, or erotic clubs, it's not as violent or crazy or as it is in this movie or how Nomi makes it. But Preston, who, who's the choreographer for this movie? Uh, I'll do my best to pronounce it, but it's Margarette Pomeran Derricks. Okay. And so, yeah, she's done. What, what, what would, why is her name in this movie? So in 1995, what, what did she do? What, what has she done? Okay, let me, let me, let me, it, it's not too terribly long. Let me pull up the whole list. Oh boy, going back pretty far. Okay, she started in 1988 with some music videos. So before this, yeah, she, she was, she choreographed dance sequences on Melrose Place. <laughs> she did All I Want for Christmas, choreographed that, 1991. Wait, which one is all I want? All I want for Christmas. So not no. the Jonathan Taylor Thomas movie. That's that's uh, a Jonathan Taylor Thomas movie, right? Yeah, this one has Ethan Embry in it and Kevin Nealon, Nyland, Tora Birch. Okay, but what is she famous for? Do, do you know who this is, Chelsea? Do you know who this choreographer is? Well, no, I, so he's talking about the real choreographer of the movie, but the, the guy who plays Marty, the, um, Oh yes. The, the redhead. Yes. Marty. He was in a friends episode. I was just, I was looking at him and I was like, and I had to pause it because I was like, he's who teaches Larry to dance in Curb Your Enthusiasm when he's training for the producers. Yeah. So he, <laughs> I guess he has a little stint as both a showgirls, you know, choreographer, like dance and um, teaching Larry he, David how to dance. He's typecast as a choreographer. Very. Very. He, he's in, uh, Brian, you wouldn't know this because you hate this show, but he's in an episode of Friends when Monica and Ross are dancing together to try to get on to the platform. And so he's <laughs> like, he's the guy that's uh, with the checkboard, uh, with the uh it sounds like he should have been the showgirl. 
Right? Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's too funny. Yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff. But what about? So yeah, the 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 real choreographer right after Showgirls did striptease. Makes a sense. Year later, did Austin Powers? Did Ten Things I Hate About You? So I guess oh, she did the whole. Uh, uh, the, sequence. That's an iconic scene too. One of the best scenes in that movie. On the well, let's be let's be clear. Austin Powers is the key here because the way yeah. Mike Myers is to the fembots is essentially the same vibe this entire yeah. <laughs> <laughs> except they're not actually wrong. robots oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, and is it what else did she do uh never been kissed uh austin powers 2 uh dude where's my car where's the dances in that where am i Oh yeah, the, I guess the whole last sequence when they're doing right, yeah, oh, at the very end. Okay, Geely, <laughs> thirteen going on thirty. That's a good one. Oh, that's the thriller yeah. one, which yeah, is also funny. kind of a re- robotic thriller with Jennifer Garner. Spider Man three, dude. She came up with the oh. the emo Spider Man with Tobey Maguire. We need to have this. She's a legend. We need to have her on the show. Holy fucking Moses. She's an icon. An icon of dance. Yeah. These are some of the... Say what you will about good dance sequences, dirty dancing, whatever. Nobody remembers that shit. Everybody remembers Spider-Man 3. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, my God. And 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 did she do... The Tom Cruise? Um, let me check. So that was 2008. Yeah, choreographed uh, Tropic Thunder. Yep. So she choreographed Tom Cruise's character dancing at the end, which is unbelievably good. Spider-Man 3. Oh, my goodness. We need to have, was it Mar- Margar- Margalite? Marguerite? Marguerite Pomeran Derricks. Oh, my goodness. This is impressive. This might be, I mean, shit, that's like gives this showgirl the five-star rating. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so now we know who we're reaching out to. (laughs) She's not part of the guild, so I think we can get her. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. All right, perfect. This is Showgirls on Fear and Loathing in Cinema. Oh, my goodness. This is our 35th episode. What a what a heck of a way to do. Uh, we related it to uh, we related it to John Wick. There were some laughs. There was a brutal rape scene we covered. There was and it's and it's Elizabeth Berkeley. We we love her. We we wish her the best. You can find Elizabeth Berkeley online. She is actually selling merchandise of items of this movie such as you can buy a hat a hoodie a beanie that says i got this at versace uh i thought i think that's amazing um so uh pretty pretty great so let's go down the list let's roll call chelsea chelsea is online you can find her she's written reviews you can find her at fantastic fest i believe she's going this year if you see her at fantastic fest buy her a drink but where can everybody find you online chelsea um, I'm most actor, 
active on Twitter. I will always call it twi Twitter. I will never say X. Just don't, you know, you can't make me. Um, it is a username I have had for a very long time. It's Miss underscore Tenenbaum. I really love the Royal Tenenbaums, Wes Anderson. Um, and you can find me on Instagram as Chelsea Nico. Hell yes. Find her there by her beer. Uh, Dan Moran in Austin. Oh my goodness. He runs our fear and loathing and cinema Instagram. Say hi to him on there. He's keeping it real. Uh, and then Preston Barta, the man, the myth, the legend. He's given You're all the me from different places. He's a, he's from different places in North Texas. <laughs> yeah, but you have uh, to get really upset about it. Right. Yeah. He has to yeah. Yeah, yell at me, Preston. That's why I like you. Different places. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So uh, he is at uh, freshfiction.tv. He is at the Denton Record Chronicle. He is doing all the amazing interviews, giving insight and analysis to all of these amazing actors and directors and writers. Uh, follow him. He is Blu-ray Dad on Instagram. And he is Preston Barta on Twitter. And uh, Threads, I believe he is Blu-ray Dad, correct? Are you on YouPorn yet? <laughs> no, I haven't quite graduated to where you are in life. Perfect. You'll get there, bud. I'm Brian Kluger. I'm at highdefdigest.com, boomstickcomics.com. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, all of it. Brian Kluger. You can find Preston and I at My Bloody Podcast um and all of the other ones are all there there's a good one but fear and loathing thank you for listening uh before we go i have one question for each of you and we're gonna each gonna answer so if you can take the character nomi out of showgirls and place her into any other movie to make it amazing what movie do you want to see nomi back in Oh, I'll I'll go first. Okay. Hook. Wait, Steven Spielberg's Hook. Yep. Peter Pan. What her. is she? What is she doing in Hook? I want her as Tinkerbell. Oh my God! <laughs> I want her. I want her angry. I you believe that her betraying Peter, coming back, teaching those boys a thing or two about what it likes to be a man. She should be in Hook. Oh, I love it so much. Okay, I love that. I love it. I love it. Hook. Uh, Preston, you got an answer? Mm, I can't think of anything good. Um, the Wrestler. The Wrestler! <laughs> I mean, it goes in town with that. That's Aronofsky, right? As Mickey right. Rourke, right? As Mickey Rourke's character, she goes to LA. She becomes the. She be. Oh wait. Okay. All right. So Mickey Rourke. Maybe he has like an an intergender match. <laughs> She's one of the. Nomi's oh, one of the wrestlers. She's certainly aggressive enough. Start doing those moves on him. He'd be like, "What the hell? This is weirder than the staples to the face." No, okay. no, Nomi is the wrestler, and he takes over Marissa Tomei's part, and he's the stripper. That's how you do it. I love it. I love it. Uh, Chelsea. Can she be Marissa Tomei's character in My Cousin Vinny? 
<laughs> like I want to see her do the the car speech on the stand. Yeah, like, I want to see just the, but I want to see the hands with it, and yeah. Oh, the hands! We didn't even get into the hands. Oh, the hands! Because she's in, she's an instant study. She like takes. She gets it. She's a dancer. Bring it on. Put her and bring it on. <laughs> I love it. Um, so mine is. I just thought of this. I don't know why, but um, Nomi needs to be in a Zack Snyder movie, and she needs to be in The Watchmen because I want her in a sex scene like sh they were in the spaceship with hallelujah so badly with nomi in I, I oddly thought of the watchman when it came to the sex scene because of the water spraying on her face and i was like yeah they're thinking of something there like the climax with the pushing the button and the fire and the watchman there you go they see press and i were on the same page there Oh my goodness. I, this is just, it's too crazy. Or, oh my God, what about, wait a second, what about I Am Sam? What if oh. she's the love interest to <laughs> I Am Sam? Now we're going to get in trouble. We're going to gas now. The lawyer said we're going to get in trouble. Oh my God. I was going to say, <laughs> listen, listen to him. This is the moment we all got our invitation to hell <laughs> <laughs> but that's a movie you would see at least a short film right oh yeah Nomi and sam <laughs> put her as put her as uh renee zellweger's character and um and jerry Maguire. also that would be a good one. <laughs> oh god he's like complete me and she's like holding the knife screaming <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's so good. All right. Thank you all for listening. This is amazing. We'll be back next week with another great movie.